Welcome to the Crack Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. So the story of Jacob stealing his blessing. Um, so I got to admit something with this story. Yeah. Confessional right out of the yeah. gate. My confession right out of the gate is how stupid is Isaac? I mean, seriously, I, I, I'm sitting there trying to imagine how even, okay, even if you're, you're blind or whatever, but fooling someone you, who's known you your entire life just by putting something on your arm. I, I mean, and an animal skin at that. It's like, it, I, I, so I grew up with, um, someone who hunted and would hunt deer. And I'm telling you right now, the the skin and, and the fur of a deer is nothing like human. <laughs> so I'm perplexed by this story. So I kind of went um, Hannibal Lecter-ish. Because, and partially for that same reason. Um, now I am I'm I'm not a hunter, but I do know what. But my my dad was a hunter, and you know, family of hunters and things like that. Um, for me, I just didn't feel like sitting in the woods, freezing my rear off, hoping maybe I could find a deer. Right. Seemed that, like much fun to me. That that was my issue. Um, was the, the the few yeah. times I tried to go hunting with my dad was I was like, why are we tromping around in the cold yeah. in these yeah. unkind conditions just so, to kill something? Right. I think I'm done. <laughs> but I'm familiar with the animal hide fur thing, and yes, that does not in any way resemble what my arms feel like or human arms feel like so we don't know what animal skin like we don't like it doesn't give us perhaps there's like like i was thinking maybe like pig uh no or like I boar they, i doubt they were eating i know but i i mean i i, I the, the kosher laws aren't in place yet so it's yeah I, I i i don't know like i'm trying to think of an animal that that would resemble more human skin and I'm like, I got nothing. I don't know. So yeah. I, so so that's my confession is that that there's there's a, a suspension of belief a little bit for me in this particular story because yeah. I'm like, come on. <laughs> well, and and <laughs> excuse me, Isaac, you know, seems to figure it out, right? Right. Like he's like, he's you like don't sound right. Well, he's like, how'd you get here? How'd you get it done so fast? Like, how did you, wow, this was really quick. And then, you know, Jacob with, you know, talk about Lord, using the Lord's name in vain. That's what I was thinking. Oh, well, the Lord gave me. And so like, we whoa, get, whoa, 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 whoa. So we get caught up in, in that commandment and using the Lord's name in vain as um, swearing. The, the swearing portion. And I, I guess I shouldn't like verbalize it, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And really, the gist of it isn't that. The gist of the commandment is not a prohibition against the swearing portion, uh, revoking God it's or Jesus. It's inappropriate use. Right. It's inappropriate use of God's name, which uh, we which could... misrepresents God. Right, which we could go on for an hour just on that. Um, but in this text, you know, boom, right out of the gate, you know, Jacob, you know, covers his tail, so to speak, 
Um, Look at you trying not, I to, know. not, not to swear. Yeah, really hard. <laughs> um, sometimes that's really hard. Um, and says, oh, well, well, the, the, the Lord our God provided it, whatever. It, but basically, God provided all this for me. I'm thinking, wow, that's a really clever lie. Because he knows how faithful his, his dad is, at least we presume, um, how faithful his dad is to say, oh, well, well, the Lord our God provided it. It's like, oh. So, so I feel like that would have put Isaac back on his heels a little bit to go, oh, yeah, well, God provided that. And it's like, well, you don't sound like Esau. And like, oh man, he's busted now. And Jacob's like, come closer. So like, like the touch test trumped the the hearing test. Right. We know he's blind. Yeah, yeah, we we, we get that. But you know, your other senses, um, when you lose one, your others become much more heightened, um, and and you're able to use them in in ways that those of us who who have all five working. Um, don't tend to use them to their, I guess you would call it to their fullest capacity yeah. because we don't have to rely on them in the same way. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too hung up on this for too long, but right. Yeah, and I, just, and I also, I also didn't want to get into the whole, um, for lack of a better way to put it, family dynamics piece of it, where you talk about you know, the oldest child, the youngest child and all that, well, I think we can talk piece. about it here in the podcast, though, because Correct. Um, I, that, because, to me, is a huge part of this story. Right. It's like, wait a minute. Why is mom conspiring against the oldest son to the benefit of the baby? Yeah. And, and, and of all the names for, for, for deceitful mama to have. <laughs> uh, Rebecca. So I'm going to assume <laughs> that mom and dad Craig didn't uh, name you after so. no. the biblical character. Well, here. I think they did name me after the biblical character from the standpoint of they just liked the name and, and they, they knew that it was biblical. I don't know. That Maybe I should have read the story first. I was going to say, I don't know how well versed either of my parents were in the actual story. Um, Might want to read that one. Yeah. So okay. So so I'm all about how do we take this stuff and put it into real practical. How do you make it practical? So so first tip of the day, um, if you want to name your child after a biblical character or give them a biblical name, read the story. I don't know of a lot of kids named Judas. No, no, not a lot. Now I'm guessing because that's such a famous story, um, you just don't name your kid Judas too often. No, but no. these stories that are that are perhaps less common. Um, oh, I, I remember that name from scripture, but don't really haven't taken the time to dig into that. Well, and there are oh. positive aspects to to the Rebecca story. I yeah, mean, for Jacob. She, <laughs> <laughs> earlier on. Um, she actually gets compared many times to having the same kind of faith Abraham has from the standpoint of, um, well, and actually she's kind of a good parallel for Abraham in a couple of ways. Okay. Um, number one is that she just sight unseen says, you know, if I'm supposed to leave my family and go and be with this guy, okay, great. Um, I'll do that. And her family was like, what, what? <laughs> they were like, you're just going to go. Um, and she does that. And so from that standpoint, it's kind of that whole, 
the way Abraham was called and said, you know, and sent and just went, uh, she does the same thing. Abraham also has this moment of this promise isn't working out the way I thought it was going to. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Rebecca does the same thing. She goes, hmm, I know that Jacob was promised this, but things aren't, he's about to give the blessing and things are not working out the way I think they should be working out. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Um, because there, you know, she was aware of that promise that was made about Jacob and that he would be the one. And so she's sitting there looking at, well, my husband's about to blow it. And, <laughs> and how many times have wives looked and thought that my husband is about to blow it? Yep. Just, just, they're just about to, you know. <laughs> Sorry. derail the train and this is all gonna go boo so so she takes matters into her own hands now there's also the element of favoritism going on um and and the two very different i mean they're twins but they're like exact and polar opposites i mean i'm a favorite child well yes because you're an only because i'm an only child yeah well i'm the favorite daughter because you're the only daughter i'm the only daughter yeah. Um, but the, the reality here is that part of these, these dynamics that occur between kids sometimes wind up being because parents tend to do things maybe they shouldn't do in terms of favoritism. But if you think about, I, I had a seminary professor who used to describe Jacob and Esau this way. Jacob was, well, first of all, um, Esau's name means Harry. So they named the Harry kid Harry, which I always just kind of find fun and, and yeah. hilarious. It's like, oh, look, Harry kid, let's name him Harry. <laughs> the thing about biblical names, they always kind of have something to do with either the personality or their physical attributes right. or something along those lines. So so Esau Harry is is named Harry. And he's kind of your redneck pickup truck, shotgun in the back, you know, out there shooting things kind of kind of kid. And Jacob's much more the refined, I'm going to sit at home in my smoking jacket listening to NPR, um, <laughs> mama's boy kind of thing going on. This is a modern day translation of yes. the characters? Yes, this is a modern day yes. translation. Because, I appreciate that. Um as uh, I have always told, whenever I tell the story of Jacob, this is better than a soap opera. Yes. This this story, as it continues on, is is has all the drama and and deceit and everything that you would find in a soap opera. So one of the big things that goes on here is Rebecca in trying to control this situation. And in trying to get her son this blessing and succeeding has now made it so she can never see her, her favorite son again. So there's that, the repercussions. Yeah, the consequence. The consequence of being deceitful and whatever is that Rebecca never sees her beloved son again because by the time Jacob returns, both Isaac and Rebecca are dead. 
So he never sees his mother again. She never sees her, her beloved son again. All because of this. Because Isa is hopping mad. <laughs> I was going to say, and let's just be honest, it doesn't do wonders for your other relationships well, either. Yeah, I mean, he, he just... You, you just stole your the entire, you know, he stole the birthright earlier. Um, or I should say he tricked his brother out of it. Now, granted, I don't know how smart Esau was to like say, oh, I'm hungry. Gee, I'll give you my birthright for a bowl of soup because I think I'm going to starve to death. Again, whatever. Savory food. Savory food. Um, so there's this whole dynamic of of the consequences of all of this action. And Jacob, of course, has to run away and goes up to Laban, who is Rebecca's brother, and immediately falls in love with Rachel. He sees her at the well because the well's, you know, kind of that... Um, Enchanting singles, place. Yes, sort of the singles bar. It's of, the watering hole. It's the watering hole where you meet, where, where, where you meet peoples. And... You know, falls in love with her, says, hey, I want to marry her. And Laban's like, well, you got to maybe do something for me first, which has worked for me for seven years. And says, okay. And at the end of that, gets really, um, Laban gets him really drunk and gives him the wrong girl. <laughs> gives him the sister. And just the dynamics then of being married to two sisters and again showing favoritism because he loves Rachel and... You know, Leo is just kind of the, oh, I got tricked into marrying you. So here's your soap opera again. Yeah. Um, I mean, this literally is script straight from Days of Our Lives. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in, co a lot of time in college watching Days of Our Lives um, because the um, sectional in the Student Union Center with the big screen TV was kind of like the well. It yeah. was the place to meet people. And like, hey, I can kind of hang out here and talk to people and meet people, or I can go to class. And and, nine, and let me guess, nine tenths of the people that were watching um, Days of Our Lives were female. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> it, it's just interesting if you just keep watching the the character of Jacob. He's the trickster, and then he winds up being the one that gets tricked, and then he goes back and he's doing, you know, um, get into this hole where he he figures out. Um, we can't, so we can't say karma genetics. because karma isn't a Christian thing. No, but but you know, you reap what you sow. That is biblical. Yes, and you know, he gets into to the genetics of sheep and figures out how to make his flock larger because you know he takes all the spotted and, and yeah he's figured out oh gee this is the dominant gene so guess what <laughs> i mean he's he, jacob's not an idiot i mean he's he doesn't always use his powers for good but right. you know the guy's not just completely a, um, dumb um but what i love about the end of this story when you get to the end of jacob's story um I guess it isn't quite the end, but, you know, it isn't going down into Egypt and all that. That's the end. But at least the drama with his family um, and his, his, his family from the standpoint of his brother, etc., ends with him eventually deciding he needs to go home and he needs to face his brother, this brother whom he has stolen <laughs> everything from and knows wants to kill him. 
Yeah. And, or at least that was the way it was left. Yeah. I mean, I wonder why. Yeah. And so he decides he's going to go back. And you have to appreciate that he finally gets to this point of saying, I'm going to face the consequences and come what may of that. Yeah. And says, I'm, I'm going to go by myself. Well, I mean, he brings his whole family there. But when he goes to actually meet him, he says, I'm going by myself. Because if he wants to kill me, he can kill me. Um, and that's just going to be. Y'all don't need to watch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And he does. And what happens is Esau cries and embraces him and uh, forgives him. And there's something Jacob says here that have you ever. I know you're probably not big into musicals and stuff, but um, the, that's the a musical, good guess. The musical Les Mis. Um, Heard of it? Um, yes. Uh, there's a there's a song, and one of the lyrics to the song is "To love another person is to see the face of God." Jacob, I think they pulled this from from the story, because Jacob, when his brother forgives him, says. When I look upon you and the forgiveness that you have shown me, I have now seen the face of God. Right. Because to him, that was the power of God at work, that forgiveness that was totally undeserved forgiveness. That was something that he did not um, deserve. He did not earn. He didn't do anything. He, you know, it was it was just Esau chose to forgive him. Yeah. Unfortunately, the lectionary doesn't go that far into the Jacob story. No, it doesn't. It, um, and I don't happens. know that we pick up that part of the Jacob story in other years in this cycle. No, to my knowledge. wrestling right yeah. before he goes to yes. see Esau, which is when his name gets changed and everything, yeah. which goes from... So, so the name Jacob means grasper or usurper. Yeah. And I think last year was the wrestling with. Yeah, I think, I think last year was Jacob wrestling with God. This year we pick up um, you know, the Jacob ripping off his... <laughs> we pick up the kind of more unpleasant type, yeah. type parts of the story. Um, but yeah, the dynamic there of, of him being able to, you know, wrestle with God and that's where his name gets changed from, from being... Uh, the usurper to one who strives with God. That's what Israel means. Um, Yisrael is is in in the Hebrew is is one who strives with God. Um, and so, kind of a the, those name changes are are significant. And they mean something, and they mean a, um, not just a change in character, but a change in relationship. Right. Um, there's a, there's a change in how Jacob operates, but there's also a change in his relationship with God. Which is kind of the point of like scripture. Yes. It's meant to change you and it's meant to change your relationship. And we wrestle with, with God and we do wrestle with it. Um, and maybe, and maybe, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and thinking, you know, wouldn't it be, perhaps it would be more beneficial. I ain't writing a lectionary. But to take stuff like that and tie it all together, right? Um, so you get the full picture. Because I think I, I, I appreciate this. I appreciate the, the narrative lectionary. I truly do. I think it it opens up text and forces us to deal with text and wrestle with texts. 
um, in the Old Testament that I know for me as a preacher, I wouldn't wrestle with. You know, the, the, the Revised Common Lectionary, which is what most people are more familiar with, um, gives you an Old Testament reading, uh, a, new, a, 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 new psalm, a psalm, a New Testament, a new Testament reading, and then a gospel. Yeah. And 99 times... Um, you always preach the gospel one. I'm preaching the gospel, and that one other time I'm preaching the New Testament text. <laughs> um <laughs> And staying away from the old, maybe it, it, you know, a portion of it weaves its way in, but this lectionary force has forced us and forces the congregation to wrestle with the Old Testament. And it's hard. And, and, and it's, it is hard. It's hard for us, and I think it's hard for the congregation sometimes too. Yeah. Um, yeah. They 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 feel the struggle. They feel the the tension. Of but may, maybe maybe a summer maybe a summer. Summer sermon series. Say that three times real fast in summer the morning. Sermon summer sermon series. Summer sermon series. Summer sermon series. Um, we put together is maybe we focus on a character for like three or four weeks at a time. Yeah, and go and, the and whole we story. and we look at the whole story of Jacob or you know Moses or whatever. Um, oh, there's a ton of them. Right. I mean, yeah. Moses, pick, David. Yeah. Pick a character. Yeah. Um, and and you kind of you know go through and tell the story of that character because each character. Each significant character. I mean, the people so, of the Bible series. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's there are characters in Scripture that I don't want to say aren't significant, but don't play a major role that you don't see the whole story. But your main, your major characters, your Abrahams, yeah. your Moseses, even your Jacobs, um, your Davids. You know, you, you know, their their life, their evolution, if you will, um, throughout the, the scriptural narrative, tells a story of faith. So, you know, Jacob, perfect example, you know, not exactly your role model, not the person that, you know, you're going to say, man, you, you don't name your kid Jacob after the biblical story. If you've read the biblical, wow, Jacob was a jerk. Yeah, let's name my kid Jacob. Um, you know, I, again, like you, oh yeah, that's and a character. Yet, and, right. and yet Jacob is this pivotal character through whom the entire 12 tribes come from. Yes. So, you know, yeah. there's, there's that. Yep. Um, so I think I you have, I think you have to see the whole, yeah. you have to see the whole, and, and I guess that's one of the, I guess my lament, um, to use a nice churchy word, my lament is that the lectionary gives us these stories, but doesn't give us the whole story of these stories because it can't. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. bound by time. You know, we have to get to we have to get through the Old Testament by Christmas. that that Christmas thing when Jesus is born, so we can deal with Jesus, so that we can fit that in before Jesus dies. And, and well, maybe rises. we figured out what we're doing next summer. Yeah. Well, wow. Look at this. Look at this plan in the head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now the now the trick would be to remember this. <laughs> Um, in I'll, the, I'll make a note somewhere. Yeah, in, in the spring when we're looking at the summer going, yeah, what, what did we say we wanted to do? Yeah. Um, reference podcast from September. Um, <laughs> when we were talking about hmm. Jacob and, yeah. and just the, the breadth and width of that story. Yeah. So, so th this, you know, this, this text for this week really dealt with, you know, the deception part. Right. Um, and there isn't a whole lot of evolution in Jacob in this part of the story. No, he just, a little bit. I mean, he, he does the bad thing and then runs away. He does the bad thing. He runs away. He, I, I will give some credit for him recognizing, although albeit in a dream. And I didn't, I didn't study enough or, or find enough resources to really dig into why it happened in a dream. Um, 
did did Jacob have to be asleep? Um, I mean, was, knock him out. I mean, was Jacob that? Um, well, the flip side of that is that that God uses dreams. I mean, it's um, he's not the only one. He he spoke in dreams to yeah. his son Joseph, um, and he uses dreams with with um, another Joseph to. That's true. And, and, and so you know, there's that. The, the angel appears to Mary while she's awake, while the angel appears to Joseph while he's asleep. Maybe it's a man thing. <laughs> so that would be interesting. So off the top of my head, I don't know. I haven't given this thought. Um, and you're probably better at this off the top of your head than I am. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering the ratio of God speaking to someone in dreams, uh, male versus female. Um, maybe there's something about male stubbornness, um, and I will claim that, about male stubbornness that God... Uh, well, your ratio is going to be skewed from the get-go just because you have more instances of, of the male interaction being true. recorded. So, true, that's yeah, true. It, it's going to be a little harder to, to figure out what that ratio actually is um, from, from that standpoint. Because, I mean, true. you get mention of... of like the prophetess Hulda. In, There's lots of women in the Bible, yeah. but they're, it's, I mean, it's so, honest, they're not. being a prophetess, you assume God has spoken to her in some fashion, but women are rarely the focal point in scripture. Correct. Jesus's birth. Or usually a plot point. Yeah. Jesus's birth. Yeah. Which Mary's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, the women running to the tomb. I mean, th those really are the focal, are probably the most prominent female. Sarah has a role, but, you know, it's a lot of it's through Abraham. You know, Deborah's the one who kind of stands out as just sort of, you know, yeah, kicking butt and taking names. Yeah, of you know, the all the men are like, we can't do this, we can't defeat him, and she's like, seriously, okay, just okay, I'm get out of the way. Yeah, get out of my way. <laughs> and she and uh, Jail, uh, uh, J A E L, uh, kind of are the heroes of that story and take matters into their own hands and and defeat the. Uh, the Canaanite armies, but um, get a little off track there. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'll steer back to to good old Jacob and and Esau and family dynamics. And I something I have so talking about sibling rivalries and and those kinds of things when you're looking at those family dynamics. I think about you didn't have a sibling. I right. Didn't. So I could not relate to that piece of it at all. Right. Because right. I ain't got one. Um, and there's, I, I wrote a piece in seminary where I was, I was looking at some of the sibling relationships that go on. And the question I asked myself was, are, you know, is it because these siblings really don't like each other? So Cain kills his brother <laughs> and because he's mad and you know, then you have the Jacob and Esau story, etc. Um, and we don't really know how well Isaac and Ishmael got along, but we're guessing not great because at least when they were teenagers, um, Ishmael tended to, I think, um, like bully his his younger brother. Um, but what I what I looked at when I was writing that paper was. So what causes the conflict between them? And I was realizing it's usually outside forces. It's not usually a conflict between the two of them because they just plain old every day, they irritate each other, don't like each other. It's usually someone else is doing something 
that is either an expectation or something along those lines that kind of pits them against each other. So in the case of Cain and Abel, unfortunately, that entity is God um, that says, okay, I like Abel's sacrifice. I don't like Cain's. And Cain gets mad, but he can't take it out on God because, you know, God's the one who's done this. And, and so he can't take it out on God or he can't take it out on himself because um, he's the one who somehow we still don't really know what the deal was with that sacrifice um, other than we think maybe it wasn't the first fruit. So it wasn't the best. Um, he just kind of gave something instead of the best of what he had. And that was what the problem was. But we're not real sure. So he can't take it out on God. So who does he take it out on? He takes it out on his brother who, you know, God showed the favoritism to. It's um, kind of the same story in, you know, this this whole Jacob and Esau thing. You've got two parents who have their favorites. And the, the strife between Jacob and Esau really kind of comes in because of that favoritism that's being played out from the parents and the expectations. Yeah. And I know growing up, I had a brother who was insanely intelligent, insanely intelligent. Like we're talking Einstein smart, missed one question on his ACTs and he was mad about it because he was like, oh man, I should have, you know, and, and I'm sitting there just going seriously. Uh, so, you know, he had full rate scholarships to every school he ever wanted to go to, et cetera. Yeah. We did not get along well as children. And I realized as I got older, part of what the problem was, was so when I went to school, every single class I got into, my brother, we went to a small school. It was a rural consolidated. So every yeah. time I went to school, I had a teacher that had had my brother. And that teacher would automatically go, oh, you're Brad's little sister. You're going to be super smart and you're going to do all these wonderful things. And I was just sitting there going, am I going to be a disappointment to you? <laughs> and it it kind of was one of those, those situations where I didn't get along with my brother because I didn't like the expectations other people were putting on me to be like because him. Because of, yeah. Yeah, to be like him. So I, this whole idea of parent favoritism. So I'm a parent of three, um, which is a little skewed because of the age gap between Camden. Camden, Camden is 22. Um, Anna Mae is eight. Um, so that skews things a little bit. But... You know, this idea, so it's probably easier for me with anime and Quinn, you know, seven and eight, um, being, you know, closer proximity in age, so it's easier reference point. Um, parental favoritism for me is who's making the right choices today? <laughs> you know, which kid woke up on the wrong side of the bed and is cranky and fighting to get ready for school in the morning as I'm trying to get out of the house? Or what this is, you know, this is really, let's be honest, this is really what it boils down to. My favorite kid is the one that when I put dinner on the table, it goes, oh, I really like this tonight, Daddy. While the other kid is full. Because they can't both agree that whatever they're eating whatever is, good. is good. Um, but so, so that's where my, my parental favoritism <laughs> goes to whichever kid uh, likes dinner that evening. Well, so um, I, I knew someone uh, who she used to have on her fridge a good choices award for the week. Yeah. 
and which child was making the better choices. We did a reward chart, but here's what happened in our house. They would narc on the other one. <laughs> right? To get the other one in trouble. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, forget it. I'm not dealing with that. Um, well, what, what happened in this case was um, the, the, the daughter was the one who apparently always was making the right choices and the son was always making the wrong choices. So guess who was always on the fridge as winning the award for the week? And I, I honestly think that that really, really marred the relationship between the mother and the son. Yeah. Because it was like, yeah. what? I, I can't win. I, you know, yeah. I'm the bad kid. I'm, I'm the right. one who does well, bad, and, and, bad and, stuff. You know, and those labels, I, I am, I'm an anti-label person. And it's really hard to get away from that in, in society, in the world today. You know, we're so quick to put labels on someone. Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about it. Christina and I talked about it when we talked about mental health. You know, we put a label on someone, that stigma that sticks with them if they, if they have, you know, depression or anxiety or whatever their mental illness is. Um, so I, I, those labels, and the reason I don't like those labels is because I think they're so powerful and often not in a positive way. So the, you're the bad kid, I'm the bad kid. And that sticks. Yeah. You know, that absolutely sticks. You know, when, you know, through high school, something happens and when you get to high school, they're still whatever that label they were assigned more often than not in elementary school. Or we rebel um, against it in right. very unhealthy ways. Right. So like, the, I'm not going to be that label. Yeah. So, so those labels are are hugely powerful, and we don't often use them for good. No. Um, so yeah, this you know, Jacob being the liar, the trickster, the cheat. Some people live into that, um, and I and I wonder, you know, verbal processing out loud as we as we sit here, you know was part of Jacob's issue. That was, that was his label. That was his, that he felt that was his place. Um, I mean, it was his name. <laughs> yeah, that, hey, usurper. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, I mean, when you name your kid, well, so that happens uh, in, in stories like I, um, the prophet Hosea names his children these horrible, awful names, you know, like not loved and, and <laughs> things like that. And it's like, holy cow. Now, granted, Jose is probably just much, it, it's a very symbolic book. It's a very, right. you know, so the reality is I, I, I don't know that someone actually did that to their children. I hope not. I, yeah, I really hope not. But that, that kind of is the, you know, is the symbolic naming of, which is is in and of itself a type of label, you know. Well, mm -hmm. Living into your name, well, your name means this, and that's what you're going to do. Um, so I've I've tried very hard not to be, um, you know, this this deceitful person. <laughs> I just solved that problem by not having children. See, there, there you go. I yeah. Well, so I avoided and, I avoided all of those pitfalls by simply not having children. Well, and here you know here's here's the power of labels. So what's we do two things when a, when a child is born. We give them two labels. One is a gender mm -hmm. and one is a name. And even that gender so often carries so much. Oh, well, you're a boy. You can't play with dolls. You have to play with... You're a girl. You can't play with trucks. And I, I mean, I feel like society's getting away from that a little bit. But there's still a lot of places where, oh, well, you're, well boys can't play with dolls. 
And then that label sticks and carries through. And then you look at career fields and go, oh, well, that's men aren't nurses. Now, that has changed drastically just in my lifetime. But, oh, well, women are nurses, men are doctors. I mean, that was a long time, that was yeah. a long time thing that we had to take, that took significant amount of time to get over. Um, but, I mean, there's those things that, oh, construction, that well, women don't do construction. Well, why? We have we have a family in the congregation where the wife does more of the home improvement stuff than the husband. Yeah. Well, who cares? Um, but but again, we ha we have that label and we put that label, and I just it's it's really hard. It's, well, it's, and it's one of those things. You know, I've essentially, with the exception of the two and a half years that I was married, I've lived by myself since I was eighteen, mm -hmm. and I have had to get very adept especially when I was poor <laughs> and, and could not hire things done. Right. I got very adept at, at my dad was wonderful in terms of, he taught me how to do stuff. Yeah. Um, I knew how to change my own oil, um, change a tire. I knew how to, um, you know, I, I know how to do basic things. And there was even a time I was able to do a little bit of my own plumbing and that kind of stuff where I could tear sinks apart and put them together. And, and Thank God for YouTube now. Yeah, yeah. You can do that with YouTube. And, and But I found it very interesting uh, the other day. I um, was putting together uh, some, you know, little dresser thing that I'd gotten off um, like Amazon or whatever. You know, one of those little do-it-yourself, put it together. And a friend of mine was watching me, you know, pull it out, put it together. And, and they were just like, wow, you're handy. And I'm like... Um, this is basic. As long as it's not from Ikea. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is, this is basic. This isn't hard. I mean, th this will take me 20 minutes. Yeah. And it, it just the, the recognition that sometimes we get the, the gender, you know, it's like, yep. oh, you're a woman and you can put something together. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah. Right. Uh, um, A, my father taught me how to use power tools, which... Given my propensity for... Maybe dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't do well with kitchen knives and other sharp objects. So, you know, power saws and things are maybe something I shouldn't be around. But Perhaps. I was taught how to, you know, how to use them and how to um, be around them and, and make things and, and do that kind of stuff. Um, now, I don't always enjoy it. <laughs> and if I can pay for somebody else to take care of something like that, I, I many times will where I like, okay, this is going to take me way longer than um, I am willing to, to deal with. And it's worth X amount of money for me to have somebody else take care of it. Um, I will right. tend to do that. But, but the reality being, no, I mean, I think we are perfectly capable as women doing certain things and as someone who's been single pretty much my entire life yeah. i've had to well so. and there there are people that are shocked that i do the the overwhelming majority of the cooking in our house um like, oh you do all the cooking i'm like yeah why yeah what's enjoy it. i i like to cook um yeah it's, it's a, i mean that's just weird so so this this text that that we really focused on this week you take another example of God taking someone that we deem not worthy. Right. And, and, and giving them the blessing, you know, sort of putting them, lifting them up and them, them having a significant role in the rest of the biblical narrative. You know, you look at 
I, I think the most famous example we talk about are the disciples because we focus on the gospel so much. You know, the disciples and Paul, those, I guess those are really the, the disciples and Paul, they were, none of them were what we would today label worthy. Liars, cheats, and murderers. Yeah. We would not label them as worthy. Yeah, because next, next week's text is the call of Moses. Right. Who, again, <clears throat> let's just say... We would just, label not worthy. Right. I, I mean, we, we, label, we label all these people not worthy, yet God labels otherwise. And, I, and the angle I took this week was largely because of that overwhelming, you know, throughout so many parts of Scripture, we label things one way, and God labels us, thanks be to God, differently. Right. You know, we, we can slap a label on someone, whatever that is, but at the end of the day, does that label that someone else assigned to us really make a difference? So it, it does tangibly in society, unfortunately. But in my in my sermon a couple of weeks ago, when I talked about creation, I said something to the effect of God gives us the freedom and the time and allows us to become who we need to be. And I think Jacob is kind of one of those prime examples of God knows what God's going to do with Jacob. And yet God gives Jacob the time to be this liar, this cheat, this whatever. And, and yet is still going to, it's like, no, I'm still going to use this guy. And there's something I think about um, recognizing that our experiences shape us and change us. And I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I hope they do. And unfortunately, sometimes um, they can go a bit wonky and, and have not so happy endings. Um, True. But the other reality is that, you know, God, God sits there and even if it has, I think, a bad ending, God still doesn't, I think, abandon that person ultimately right. forever and ever right. kind of thing does not abandon them to, to whatever that bad ending was. Yep. Um, that, that is part of the gospel is that God has a different intention for you. And now God may allow you to go and make your bad choices and, and do things and, um, you know, what we would call that, that freedom to, to be, who you are or whatever. And unfortunately there's always something influencing you that pushes you into making whatever decisions it is you make. Right. Um, you know, let's, let's, let's face it. You know, this is all not devoid of, I'm not going to get into this, but it's always my, my contention with that whole, the free will argument where it's not always 100% free from the standpoint of there are outside influences. There right. are things that push us in certain directions we make our choices for certain reasons um, based on some of those influences. Again, re whether it's rebellion, whether it's because someone's pushing me in this direction and right. I'm the kind of person where if you push me and push me and push me, I'm going to go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to go left? I am going to go right. Yeah. And, and, and recognizing that, you know, all of that plays into it. So I think, I think for me, then the question becomes, how do we both as individuals and how do we as leaders of a faith community shift that 
so that the major, the prominent influence becomes scripture and the prominent influence becomes a reflection of the God who loves you, of the God who loves you and the Christ who died on the cross for you. I, I mean, I mean, that that's that's what that's what church should be. Um, how do how do that's what Christianity should be lived out. That's what church should be. That this should be the place. I say this should be the place as we're sitting in the sanctuary recording this. But you know, the the worship space should be the training ground. Should be the the, um, the place where we take this um, this word, we take scripture, and we figure out how to take it internally and then reflect it out to the world mm -hmm. and i think the problem one of the one of the biggest challenges in the church and there's lots of articles right there were lots of articles about church decline before covid there's a lot of articles now about you know what the church will look like post covid um and i think one of our biggest challenges one of our biggest obstacles is ourself you know does the church reflect it doesn't have to perfectly reflect. We don't have to be perfect. Let's just claim that. But can the church reflect the love of Christ in the world? Can the church reflect the love of God in the world? Or are we going to be something else? Something else. You know, are we going to be the cancer of society? The cancer that exists in society. Are we going to allow that to come into the church and pervade the church? So that that becomes the culture rather than the culture of a loving and graceful and forgiving God. Well, and, and I think that's the struggle. Yeah. And to give a little foreshadowing of um, next week's text of, of Moses and, and God and, and God's self-revelation of who he is, is recognizing that God is the God who reveals himself through relationship. That's how we know God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do you know who I am? You know who I am because of how I have related to these other people. Yeah. In, you know, it's relationship. Yeah. It's, it's relationship. It is re relationship with God, relationship with each other, period. Yes. And, 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 and to recognize that if that's the God that we have, that we have this God who reveals um, God's self through the relationships that God has with humanity. And of course, the, you know, the biggest relationship of all is when God just became human right. <laughs> and entered that fully. Right. And, and I think that's, we're really jumping ahead, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, that is, that is ultimately God's trump card to this relationship piece. Yeah. You know, God, I, I think a lot of the old Testament is God trying desperately to be in relationship with God's people. Yeah. And then, okay, so this isn't working from up here. Boom. Yeah. Here I am. And, and the relationship of course, with, with Jacob being, um, you know, God made a promise and, pro and God is going to fulfill that promise and he's going to be faithful to Jacob, despite the fact that Jacob has done all this other stuff. Yeah. And in the process, though, Jacob is changed through that relationship. Yeah. So a little foreshadowing so, for, for next week. Yeah. Although next week's text is a little, it's a lot less. Um, it's not as, yeah, it's the call of Moses, yeah. um, which 
you know, I'm not going to talk too much about right now because got to have something to talk about next week. Um, I, I identify a lot with, with the call of Moses. Oh, don't give it away. Next week's text is a call of Moses. Yep. So we'll just, we'll just leave it there. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we will wrap it up and we, we will talk to you next week as we talk about the Moses text. Bye everybody. Bye.